Father, we know that your son is the reason we are here. Not just that we come to worship him, but he actually holds all things together. And it's by his power, his will, his grace that we are present. So we ask that in all things we would glorify him. That your spirit might work in us, that we might hear your word and cut through the detritus and the, the, the amalgams and culture and all those things to hear only you. And we might have a conversation about what matters to you. And in doing so, we might bring honor and glory to your name. We thank you for your church, for your scriptures, for your spirit. Help us to know Jesus, the living word, through this, the written word. We pray this in his holy name, by your Holy Spirit, to you our God, amen. Okay, so I was joking a little bit before, um, but the question that came to me, and when I told my dad about this, he said, that's why I never tell them to ask me questions. The question that came to me had to do with the, the situation that has happened. If you're not familiar, the Southern Baptist Convention, after years of debate, have, in, have enforced a statement on their faith, in, uh, their, their faith statement, um, what's called the, uh, I always get it wrong, Faith and Message 2000, um, which says that um, they only recognize churches with male pastors. And so they upheld the, um, the removal of a couple of churches. Uh, one of them was Saddleback Church, which was pastored by Rick Warren, big church out in California. Another one was a church that had been pastored by a woman for over 30 years. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, there's pulling the Band-Aid off, and then there's leaving the Band-Aid on so long that when you remove it, it takes skin. And that seems to be the situation there. So I was asked, what does the Bible say about that question? And I took a deep breath, and I wrote a 15-page document that I'm not going to read to you. Um, however, I did make copies of it, and because there is no earthly way that I'm going to be able to get through everything. Um, and, and I, so I did write it. There's, some page, there's copies in the back. If you want to grab it, it's also going to be available online. Um, but my hope and my desire... In, in addressing this is to discuss what the Bible says. Now here's the problem with this question. There is so much cultural um, uh, aggregate mixed into this question. And so I'm going to try as best as I can to avoid all of the theology and doctrine and ideas and cultural biases that have developed in the last 2,000 years. And I'm just going to go ahead and take one passage of the Bible that everybody hates so much that they've actually argued in the seminaries that Paul didn't write it and try to get, you to get us to a place of understanding Paul's intent and then consider the question. So I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2.
and and I'm not kidding, by the way. Uh, this the argument is that this verse, if you if you read any uh, seminary level survey of the New Testament, this particular passage is used as a particular argument to say that the Apostle Paul could not have written 1 Timothy because of what's in it. So, we're going to start in chapter 2 and verse 1. First of all then, so of prime importance, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, before I go any further, who is the we here? Is it just men or just women? It's everybody. That we all should live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To be saved from what? Sin. All right? And what is sin from weeks ago? What did we mention that sin is? Sin is the... It's the... Right? It is the twisting or perversion of something good that God has given us. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now watch what Paul says very carefully. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. If you are a marker, underline that because it tells us something about the text. Likewise also. What does likewise mean? Same as. All right. Likewise also. All right, um, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with that which is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Everybody's okay up to that point. Then verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority <laughs> over a man. There are gears grinding there. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for God was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. He then proceeds to talk about the qualifications of Elders, the leaders of the church, and qualifications of the deacons, and their qualifications in the church. How do we make sense of this? I grew up in a tradition where it was easy to make sense of this. Women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. All right? 
Um, I, I, my, and I'm only kind of sort of joking. My grandfather was old school Italian. He wanted food on the table when he got home. He didn't want any um, trouble. He probably shouldn't have married a Dutch, Scottish, German woman um, if that's what he wanted. But um, there, was, there, was a, there was this mentality. And, and right, we watched Leave it to Beaver from the 1950s. And, and what does June do? Right? When, when, what's his name? What's the, Gore, what is it? Ward. Ward, right? He comes home. She's, she's perfectly, you know, primped and just bringing the food out of the tray. And, it's a, and the kids are on beaver. Go wash your hands. You know, the whole, oh, it's so happy. And this is how the world works. And it's like an episode of the Stepford Wives. It's weird. All right? I get it. They were in black and white. So that's how it worked. So we have this mentality, we often have this idea that there is a hierarchy between men and women. That, that men, and, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I, this is, we're in trouble. There is a mentality in our culture that men are better than women. All right? Um, they're not. I don't know how to hit this to you, but they're not. Men are not inherently better than women. They're like, but we're stronger and uglier. <laughs> we're not better than women. So, so let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Let's talk about men and women. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God created man, humans, Adam, male and female, he created them. In other words, they are one kind of thing. But they're different. They're distinct within that one kind of thing. Then in Genesis chapter 2, we have an expansion of this where God creates man and man is in the garden and God says it's not good that man should not be, have a helper. And so then God creates from man's rib a woman. You go, well, that's a weird thing to do. Why didn't he just create the woman separately? Now, I appreciate that we all think men and women are different species, but they're not. They, that passage is about men and women being of the same stuff. That, that they're of the same material, the same being, the same essence, the same soul, the same fabric. And when Adam sees his wife, which by the way, he doesn't name her till after she sins. I guess he needed something to call her after that. But she's just the woman. All right, He, he names her Heva, which means life giver, life bearer. Um, or Eve is how we translate it. But he looks at her and he says, now, he says, man and woman are going to be one flesh. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What is he saying? We are one. We're the same. So all the way back in Genesis, there's not a hierarchy of, of gender. Now when we get to the, and then we get to Genesis chapter 3 where men, where, where Satan tempts the woman and, um, and she eats the fruit, and then she gives the fruit to Adam, and everybody's like, see, it's all her fault. And everybody tends to read the way that Paul reads this as saying God, that God blamed her. It's weird, because if you actually read Genesis 3 without all that garbage in the middle of it, the woman only gets one piece of the curse, and that is that she gets to bring new life into the world. It's just going to hurt. You know what man's part of the curse is? You dead, son. That is literally, he's like, you're going to work your whole life. You're going to sweat. You're going to do all this work. And then you're going to return to the dust I made you from. 
Adam goes, wow, that was a lot. And he calls her life giver because even in the curse, the woman is given the, the, the responsibility and the joy of bringing new life into the world. See, he sinned not because he listened to his wife, but because he listened to his wife rather than listening to God. It's not the listening to the wife and eating the fruit that's the problem with Adam. It's that God had told him otherwise and he chose to listen to her. So we... we but again, we get this situation where they both sinned, they're both cursed, they're both going to die, this whole situation. So I want you to take that idea all through creation that men and women are created equal. Now, I read a lot of stuff on this topic in the coming week. One of the things that people always brought up, and I thought this was hilarious, they're like, whenever there are female leaders in the Old Testament, they always wind up doing the wrong thing. What? Because the men leaders never do the wrong thing, right? (laughs) David never does the wrong thing. Solomon never does the... What are you talking about? That's not how this works. So let's fast forward. Let's file this away. Here's the created order. So I want you to get this down. Here's the created order. Men and women are the same thing, but they have distinctive attributes. But they're the same thing. All right? They're not they're not man and woman. They're man and woman. Okay? Everybody's clear on that? All right? Everybody's okay with both genders being human? Good? All right. So let's fast forward to, to Paul. Uh, this by the way was not an issue for the Jews. Um in the Jewish the Jewish thinking, um men were better than women. There's no getting around it. All you have to do is read through the gospels. The Jews have this attitude about men and women. Um, And it it even creeps in a little bit in the way the gospel writers tend to not give people names. Matthew and and Mark tend not to give women names. Um, John even does it a little bit. He kind of talks about that woman that was by the well of Sychar, the woman that, that, you know, he kind of does that. He gives some names. But Luke, who is writing for Paul, wants you to know the names of every woman that Paul has ever met. He gives you names after name after name after name. And not only does he do that, he's the only one who mentions that alongside the 12 apostles who we all talk about in Luke chapter 8, there's actually a group of women who were paying for the apostles' ministry and Jesus' ministry. Didn't hear that before, did you? Check it out. It's in Luke 8. They're the ones who are paying for this trip. Um, Some of them were probably the apostles' wives. Why don't they get named? I don't know. Um, We do know that Peter later on travels with his wife. Um, When Peter is off as an apostle, his wife goes with him. Kids were out of the house. She had nothing better to do. So let's go to Rome and be martyred or something. Um, Anyway, when we get to, and you don't have to turn to all these places, but I just want to, I want you to, to, to understand where Paul is coming from when Paul talks about women. Because the mentality is kind of like, well, this, this passage, right, it's kind of subordinating women. It's saying women should be silent and not talk and all this stuff. Check this out. Romans chapter 16. You know how the Apostle Paul loves to name people that have helped him with his ministry? Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. This is the only place where the word deacon appears in the feminine. 
a servant of the church at Cancrea, which is the, um, it's the harbor of Corinth. Um, she appears in 1 Corinthians as well. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila. This is a married couple. Um, most of us learn her name as Priscilla. Um, that means my little Prisca. That's Paul's name for her. She was probably short and um, Either that or she just, had a little, I don't know. He calls her Pris- Priscilla is actually what, it, what he calls her in Latin. But her name is Prisca. And she gets listed first here. Greet Prisca and Aquila, her husband, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And then he goes through. Look at this in verse 5. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. That's another married couple. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. As we go through this list, there are a number of women. Um, In fact, there's two of them in verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Probably twin sisters. Um, because their names, their sisters. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and also his mother. Um, th- look at all these women. Julia, and Neris, and her sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Paul loves women. He loves what they do in the church. I don't mean he loves women like our world talks about loving women. I mean, he, these are women who are co-laborers and co-workers in the church. They're involved. He even calls Phoebe um, the female form of deacon, a servant of the church. Um, he elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, and I mentioned this, but in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he actually talks about her, um, uh, and he talks about, uh, he talks about how important she is. All right, in verse, uh, uh, I'm sorry, he talks about, yeah, uh, Chloe, which is another woman, in verse 11. It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. So another woman in Corinth that's important. So if Paul respects women so much, how do we read 1 Timothy? How do we read this passage? How can somebody who respects women's ministry in the church who loves women so much, did he suddenly turn on a dime? Did he just get angry and get mad at women? And just go, you know what? It'd be better if they all were quiet. You know, man yells at cloud, right? I don't believe he does. I believe that Paul believes in the created order, that there's a distinction between men and women, but they are the same. He values and respects their ministry and their leadership in the church. But in this particular situation, there is a problem in the church of Ephesus. And it's not a gender problem. It's a people problem. Go back to verse 9, verse 8. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let me ask you a question. What's it mean to lift hands without them being holy when you're anger and quarreling, fighting? So here's the problem with this church. Men who are supposed to be praying are fighting. 
the throwing hands rather than raising hands. There's a problem in this church and then the women are showing up to the prize fight cheering on their man. You go, Cephas. You take them down. Imagine what the church service would look like. Now the crazy thing is when I was a young pastor there was actually a church that set up an MMA cage in their sanctuary to show how masculine they were. Enough said. There was a situation in this church where the men are fighting. The women are coming in trying to one-up each other. There's all kinds of craziness going on. There's a competition, and Paul says to uh, Timothy, he says, he says, you know what is proper for women who profess godliness? Good works. The competitive voices, the arguing. See, here's what's going on. In the created order, man and woman are the same. They're different. They're working together. In the church at Ephesus, men were throwing hands and women were attacking and screaming and barking. And there was chaos. So he says, let them learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now here is a verse that gets so misinterpreted because of the English translation. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Do not read this as I do not permit any woman to teach or to exercise authority over any man. When Paul describes men and women this way, he is talking about married couples. Married leaders. He uses the same words in the next, ver next chapter when he talks about the elders. This is not any woman and any man. It is not a hierarchy of there's men and there's women. You be quiet. We're in charge. I've been in churches like that. I've been in situations like that where all women are supposed to submit to all men. That, 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 that's the way it is. That is not what Paul is saying. How could someone who so adored so many women involved in the ministry of the church make an argument like that? But rather he is saying, look, instead of you guys throwing hands and anger and quarreling and you women shrill and arguing, fighting and screaming over each other and top each other, why don't you go home? Why don't you find what the scriptures say? Why don't you be quiet? Because you have blown up the created order. You've got women operating as if they're not married, men operating as they're not married. They're going and competing and arguing and fighting, and you've turned this into a, a death match, and it's supposed to be the church of Jesus Christ. This is not a universal prohibition. It has to do with ministry. I, I, by the way, the book of 1 Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy are written to ministry leaders. So you have to read it in that context. 
there is an opposition to the created order that's going on here. And Paul is calling them back. He is trying to bring us out of conflict. Conflict between men and men, men and women, women and men, women and women. Out of that conflict into the harmony of the church. Where does all of the discrimination against women in the name of religion come from? Now, this is the part where I'm probably going to get fired. It comes from the weakness of the men. Because a weak man can't stand a strong woman. A, man, a, weak, man, a weak man does not want his woman strong. He wants his woman weaker than him. I grew up in a tradition, not necessarily my dad, but I grew up in a world where women were not given as good an education. They were told they weren't as good. They were told that they, they should just stay at home. I mean, those of you that have gone to a Christian college, now it's changed a little bit now, but if you went to a Christian college when I was an age, if you were a man, you were only really good if you were going into the ministry or if you were really, really faithful, you were going to be a foreign missionary. Right? You could be a Christian school teacher, but that was what you were going to do. Then there was a second tier of men. But women went to, church, went to school for one reason and one reason alone, to get their MRS degree. They didn't need no fancy education. They didn't need jobs. They had a man. My father was of the opinion, by the way, if she can bring money into the house, bring money into the house. He was a poor pastor. He did not have a, a rule about that. And so... Women have been told, when you've been told for generation upon generation upon generation that you are less, and you discover you are not, it's very easy to swing the other way. Right? We're rising up against the patriarchy. Join the movement. Now, don't get me wrong. Our culture, let me, hold on. If you can do the job, you get the pay. People are like, well, women can't be paid as much as men because they go on maternity leave. Really? Because men never have physical problems. We never have issues that might affect our work. If you can do the job, you should get the pay. That's equality. Equality is not you get the pay because of your gender, whether it's a guy or a girl. You do the job, you get the pay. Right? I mean, isn't that biblical? We're the same. Men and women. Now, there's some jobs that women can do that men can't do. I've never seen a man rushing to do childbirth. <laughs> never once seen a man going, I want to do that job. How do we, well, I take that back. I've seen males think about that, but not men. Um, <laughs> oh, I just got fired. Um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, there is a created order. And the order begins with equality in diversity. Now, that means that in the church, we need to be willing to accept that that equality exists. Now I'm going to get fired by the other half. But, but, 
where the scriptures make a statement clearly that is not clarified to include both genders, we have to err on the side of caution. You say, what are you talking about? In order for an elder, bishop, pastor to serve the church, he must be faithful in his marriage. The scriptures say he must run his household well. He must be a one-woman man. So in other words, he must be in alignment with the created order. Men and women are different but the same. They have different roles, but they are the same essence. And so in the marriage, there is a relationship there. There are responsibilities given to the man, responsibilities given to the woman, and there's a harmony there. There is a unity in diversity in the created order. And an elder has to be one woman man. While there are schools of thought, and you are welcome to disagree, while there are schools of thought that say that you can invert that and say that a woman can also serve in that role, the problem is for the woman to be the authority in that household, according to Paul, is an inversion of the created order. It places her in authority over her husband, which Paul very clearly says in that marriage relationship they cannot be. Let me pause for a second. This makes me very, very uncomfortable. Sometimes the Bible should make us uncomfortable. The created order is not always the easiest thing to follow. When my wife and I were dating, she used to joke around about how she needed a pink pulpit. I'm not making that up. She, not pink. What was the word you used? You said, somebody else said pink pulpit, but you were always talking about, I'm going to preach this. I can't remember what it was. You, my wife loves the scriptures. She loves to talk about the scriptures. She loves to lead. In many ways, she's a better communicator than me to some people. Not to me, but to other people. She, she speaks very clearly to me, claim, plainly. I'm not saying it's her fault. I'm saying I sometimes don't understand. But as we approached our marriage and our relationship and our leadership in the church, we recognized that while we are partners and we are together, for her to be in charge, for me to be submitted to her authority, was an inversion of the order of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And that's what Paul is saying. He is not saying that women make terrible leaders. He is not saying that all women need to be quiet. But he is saying there is an order. Let me be honest. There's a whole bunch of men in the Christian world who, would be, who are more than content to just let someone else do it. Let her lead. I was the assistant pastor of a church. I'm not making this up. The pastor made a statement from the pulpit. His wife corrected him from the pew. And he said, I'm sorry, I was in error. A doctrinal position. 
Now you can disagree with me all you want. The fact of the matter is, someone else was in authority of that family. We used to sit in board meetings where he would make a decision, go home and tell, us that, tell his wife what the decision was, and the next board meeting come back and change his position because she was really in charge. But she couldn't be a pastor because it was a fundamentalist Baptist church, so she found, I'm about to get... She found a way to manipulate the, the created order to get what she wanted. Manipulation is not leadership. People sometimes go to my wife hoping that if she asks me the question, I'll give in. And I look at my wife and I go, why didn't they come to me? Look, the created order, whether we like it or not, in Scripture, we are equal, but we are different. We are distinct. Men are not better than women, but we have specific jobs. And in the church, while it is not 100% absolute, I can't say I'm 100% convinced that this is true. And I have to safeguard myself against wanting to find what I want to find in the Bible. Because I want to find that it's okay for women to be pastors. I really do. My personal inclination is, in many ways, they make better pastors. Sorry, side note. The reason they make better pastors is because we expect pastors to do something other than what they're biblically called to do. We expect them to be women in, in shortcuts and like kind and loving and touching. And it's not that people aren't like that. There are men that are like that. But for the most part, most of us are a little bristly, a little hard to put away with. But we want them to be like women because women can't be leaders. Maybe what we should do is have women be leaders. That's my take. Uh, anyway. You're going to have to rewind that one and find out what I said. We, we have to be submitted to Scripture. And where Scripture is not clear, not 100%, we do not have the freedom to decide that it says what we want it to say. What I want and what the Scriptures say are often not the same thing. You say, but you're a pastor. You preach the scriptures every day, every Sunday. I do. Do I like everything I read? No. No. But I will say this, and I'll close with this. I will say this. If you've ever reached a point that, said, that you said, well, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I'm going to do. Now you have a problem. Now you have a problem. Now. We can agree to disagree. If there's issues in this that you don't like and everything, we can have a conversation. I'm more than willing to do that. I'm not trying to upset or alienate people. But this is why, at Bedford Road at least, elders are men. But they're not just men because they're men. They're men who meet the qualifications of an elder. There are men who are in a proper relationship with their spouse. And there are men whose spouses are equal partners with them in their marriage and their faith and their ministry. That's incredibly important. It's incredibly important. 
Okay, so if I'm here next week, <laughs> we're going to be approaching the book of 1 Corinthians. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I feel sometimes like I deal with the most delicate surgery with a sledgehammer. I pray, I pray that we can be submitted to your word, your truth. Lord, that we can honor one another as we were created to do. May your church be strengthened not by our will, but yours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters, and be the church of Jesus Christ.